Ready Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Welcome once again to Talking Real Money. Quick, I'm Don McDonald. This is the short version of Talking Real Money. The long version of Talking Real Money is taken from our radio show that we do in Seattle on Saturdays. And we have a phone number. You can call the show or you can call the podcast 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay, actually, you can call the show only on Saturdays between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific, but you can call this podcast 24-7 at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. This week, we have a full array of the uh, podcast for you. We've got the long versions and the shorter version, and we'd love to hear from you anytime to try to answer some of those confusing issues or solve some of those confusing issues and answer some of those frustratingly difficult to answer questions on this show at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. And now, our first call of the week. Hey, Don and Tom. A couple questions for you. For somebody in their mid-30s, who is aware of the risks of small cap value, the, the increased volatility, increased drawdowns, what would be the downside to putting 100% of your portfolio into a globally diversified small cap value asset class? If you're comfortable with and expect potential 60 or 70% drawdowns and you have a, you know 40 or 50 years to invest, what would be the downside to that? Nice thing about doing the show this way is we can split that two-part question into two parts. So we'll start with part one, small cap value investing. Well, we love small cap value. The evidence points to small cap value being an incredibly lucrative investment over the past 90 years, 90 plus years. It has been, among equity investments, by far the most lucrative, with returns well into the double digits historically over 100 years. But but none of us have 100 years. So let's talk about it exclusively, though. It should be, oh, yeah, small cap U.S. and international small cap value stock should be a part of everyone's equity portfolio. But the only part? <laughs> you must have been listening to Paul Merriman. Because Paul has been actually pushing small cap value. Now, bear in mind, Paul can push small cap value these days because he's no longer providing advice as an investment advisor who's registered with the SEC. So we have to, we have to tread very carefully here, okay? We're going to tread carefully. You do mention that you are asking for someone who has an incredibly strong stomach. And let me just tell you, I have yet, in any of the classes I've taught, any, I have yet to find anyone who honestly can tell me that they're comfortable with an 80% potential loss. And 80-plus percent potential loss is the worst-case scenario historically for small-cap value. Back in the 30s, we had just that kind of decline. As a matter of fact, there's been even one 10-year period, which is, has never been the case with massively diversified global equities. There has been one 10-year period where you would have suffered a loss for the entire 10 years. The second worst loss I can find was in 2008. And 
while the broader stock market declined by about 50%, small cap value stocks lost two-thirds or more. So, strong stomach, absolutely required. 100% certainty that even in an 80% drop when every newspaper and pundit on the planet and every TV show and every podcast and every everything is out there saying, you big dummy, the world is coming to an end. Why are you in stocks at all, much less the scary stuff? If you can do that, then okay. Second question is, Firms like DFA use security lending, and DFA, I've found, charges somewhere between maybe 30 to 50 basis points more than Vanguard. However, their security lending, I think, eats up some of that. What are your thoughts on security lending? How much of the expense ratio do you think is discounted by security lending, specifically by DFA? Well, I do believe that that is the very first time securities lending has ever come up on the show. Great question. But it's just never come up. Here's the deal. Vanguard and Dimensional Funds. DFA is the Dimensional Funds Group. Dimensional Fund Advisors. And Vanguard and DFA are similar in a lot of ways and different in a lot of ways. They both offer a wide variety of passive products, index-style products. DFA does not slavishly follow indexes like the S&P 500 or the Russell 3000 or whatever it might be. DFA creates portfolios based on segments of the economy of the of, not even of the economy asset class segments of the market and they do charge a little bit more than Vanguard they manage money a little bit differently than Vanguard which which is one of the reasons why they do for example a lot of the stocks they buy in their portfolios they're buying in very small markets, they're very lightly traded. You're not going to find micro-cap stocks, for example, at Vanguard. They're just too lightly traded. DFA has the advantage being able to use those because they're only sold through advisors who are generally supposed to follow some guidelines about trading their clients' accounts so that they don't have to worry about people using their accounts as trading vehicles which can make a lot of things very difficult to do, like lending out securities. You see, whenever someone wants to sell a stock short, you probably read recently, if you read the economic news, about a lot of folks selling Tesla short. If you want to sell Tesla short, you have to borrow the shares. And you have to find someone from whom to borrow them who isn't worried about their liquidity in whatever stock it might be. Well, DFA has a high degree of confidence in the stability of their investors so they're, they can lend these stocks out and they collect interest for doing so. And that does help improve the bottom line returns of DFA. I have never seen a study done comparing the amount of money they make from securities lending versus the, uh, the fee structure. I would imagine in large part, it's responsible for the generally, historically, slightly higher return part of it, the higher return we've seen on some DFA's funds in the past. Now, having said that, there's no way to know what, what the future is likely to bring. So here's the thing. DFA has a lot of advantages. Again, in they're able to have a broader portfolio. DFA's global portfolios have 13,000 stocks in them. Vanguard's have 8,000 stocks or so. 
Vanguard's fees are lower. They're the biggest fund company in the world. DFA is like down around seventh. But I didn't see, I went looking, I didn't look at every single fund, but I went looking and the one of the biggest spreads I could find between Vanguard and DFA was in that small cap value arena where it comes in at about 31 basis points, 0.3%. The difference overall, I used the DFA Global Equity Fund versus the Vanguard Total World Stock Index Fund, and I found the difference between those two funds to be 11 one hundredths of 1%, just about a tenth of a percent. So I didn't find those major differences in fees, but if I was going to pick a, a group, I would go with DFA, and it's not just because we use them. We can also use Vanguard if we want. It's because I think you're going to get broader portfolios, and I think the odds are good for getting a slightly better return just because you have those smaller asset classes. And again, those are long-term odds. We, all we have to go on is the past, and over many, many years, those smaller company asset classes have done better than the larger ones, and you get into those micro caps, and you really get some things that can do incredibly well, of course, along with some that are going to just be horrible. So thanks for both of your questions, and I uh, hope those two answers helped out. we got more coming up here on Talking Real Money Quick. If you're sick of your self-interested financial advisor and are looking for a 100% fiduciary low-fee investment advisor, call my firm, Vestry, at 800-386-3004 or visit us at vestry.com. Every now and again, I keep a prediction from the past on my computer. Most of them come from that crazy traders branch of the Wall Street Journal called Market Watch. Almost six months ago, one of their market reporters shared the opinion of one of the self-proclaimed market experts, Michael Oliver. Oliver proclaimed that stocks were, quote, the stupidest asset out there, unquote. What did he think was better? Commodities, specifically foods like corn and soybeans, stating that food prices are, quote, sound asleep and adding that their, quote, volatility is non-existent, unquote. So how have these supposedly undervalued and non-volatile investments done? Well, over the past six months through September 7th, corn has fallen about 12% and soybean prices have plunged more than 20%. And that's just for six months. To help put that in perspective, in only six years since 1926 has that stupid U.S. stock market lost more than 20% in a full year. Oh, and over the last six months, how did the stock market do? Well, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund actually returned almost 9% over those six months. The moral is that no Nobody knows the future. Apparently, money does make us more happy. Yet another study entitled Long Run Effects of Lottery Wealth on Psychological Well-Being backs that assertion. The authors surveyed thousands of people who won the Swedish lottery and found that even 20 years after winning, lottery winners were far more satisfied with their lives than those who failed to win a big prize. They even discovered that the bigger the winnings, the happier people were. This backs up a string of other research that found a correlation between wealth and happiness. What what sets this research apart is the breadth and length of the work. Every Swedish lottery winner was included, providing a massive number of data points. Also, contrary to popular belief, most lottery winners didn't quickly burn through their riches. Like it or not, we need money to enjoy a better life. And if you want your happiness to carry forward into what might be a very long retirement, it behooves you to start saving and properly investing right now. Subscribe to free monthly email updates from the only magazine devoted to real investing, Real Investing Journal, at realinvestingjournal.com.
According to Standard & Poor's, nearly one quarter of all stock mutual funds have vanished over the past five years. The funds were either closed down or they were merged into other funds. Why? In most cases, it's because their performance was so bad they couldn't get investors to buy them. So if 23% of all stock funds were so awful that they were terminated, what about the other 77%? Well, it turns out they aren't much better. S&P found that approximately 80% of equity fund managers made their investors less money than their benchmarks. That means that the vast majority of funds run by smart managers were beaten by those who just owned the global stock market. If you're a glass-half-full kind of person, you might think, yes, but 20% beat their benchmarks. However, if active fund managers were just selecting stocks randomly, you'd expect the glass would actually be closer to half full, not 80% empty. The bottom line, if you want to improve your odds of investing success, stop looking to beat the market and instead just be the market. Numerous academic papers have determined that active mutual fund managers don't add value. Multiple studies found that stock pickers do no better than one would expect by random chance, and therefore active fund managers actually underperform index funds because of their higher fees. However, a 2015 paper by Ph.D. researcher J.B. Heaton, University of Chicago professor N.G. Polson, and J.H. Witt, a professor from Oxford, determined that in addition to the disadvantage of higher fees, active fund managers all also do poorly because the process of picking stocks, quote, disproportionately increases the chance of underperformance relative to the chance of overperformance, unquote. In other words, active mutual fund managers are even worse than we previously believed. Trying to pick the best funds or a winning money manager is a waste of both time and money. The key to successful investing is simplicity. Invest in a massively diversified portfolio for your risk tolerances and need. Keep your costs slow, rebalance, and be patient. If you're sick of your self-interested financial advisor and are looking for a 100% fiduciary low-fee investment advisor, call my firm Vestry at 800-386-3004 or visit us at vestry.com. Talking real money quick continues. I'm Don McDonald. This is the podcast where we talk about real money and we do it in a shorter format than our longer shows or podcasts that we have here. And this is a show about talking real money and investing and not talking about speculating unless it is to try to dissuade you from gambling with the money you're going to need in the future. I'm not approved. If you'd like to gamble, have at it. Just understand that it that an investment is far different than a speculative vehicle. They are not the same, and they should never be thought of in the same way. Investing is really different, and that's what we're trying to show you here on this little get-together podcast thing. So if you'd like to call, if you've got a question, give us a call. 855-935-TALK is the number, 855-935-8255. You can call and leave your question 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and let me assure you, you will not be called by someone trying to sell you something. We don't share your information with anybody. We will not bug you. We just want to educate you. 855-935-TALK, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we'll answer those questions every single week. Well, almost every single week. If I get sick or something, maybe not. But we're going to try and do it every week here on Talking Real Money Quick, right here on this podcast service you're listening to. And we've got another call for you this week. Don, I have a question about credit scores for my children. They both pay their credit card bill each month. 
One pays it after they get the bill. They pay the total balance. The other child pays each expense as they make the expense. So at the end of the month, their bill is essentially zero. Does either method impact their credit score? Is it just me or are the questions for the podcast just generally more interesting than the questions for the show? They seem more interesting. I've, I, this question I've never gotten in 30-plus years of doing Financial Talk Radio. I think it's a great question. And you know what the answer is? It doesn't make a hill of beans a difference either way. It's a matter of personal preference. And, you know, I can, I can actually, I was listening to the question, I'm going, I can see why either one would work, particularly in this day of having your, uh, you know, your, payment apps on your iPhone or your Android phone or whatever the heck you have. You could just go and you make a payment. You can go in and just immediately go to your app, pay that amount. You see, they pop up instantly. I mean, I could be sitting at a restaurant and put a charge on my Delta Reserve card and it's just like, boop, your Delta Reserve card was just charged. And I go, uh-huh, there we go. So you really could just go to the app and say, pay that charge right now. That way you don't forget. I can see that. But the other thing is, if you set up the account right, you can just have it pay the total balance every month. I have a lot of cards where I do that. You know, I just say pay every single thing every month. That's most of the accounts. You know, unless I'm doing something big that I need to carry for a month, which I hate to do and only on the lowest interest cards. But either way is absolutely fine. And neither of them affect your credit score any differently. It is a good thing to pay off everything you owe every month. Carrying a balance does not, that is an old wives' tale, it does not make your credit score any higher. The biggest thing that affects your credit score is how much of your entire credit line, your available credit, you use. That one really impacts you if you're using a lot of it then you're going to get a lower credit score. If you carry a big balance, if you don't carry any balance, you get a great score. If you have late payments, that affects you a lot. Yeah, those are bad. If you have negative credit reports from hospitals and the like, those can be bad. But generally speaking, if you pay your bills on time and you've been doing it for a long time and you don't carry a balance, you're going to have one heck of a great credit score. Thanks so much for listening to another issue, another edition of Talking Real Money Quick. And if you haven't caught them yet, go check out the other two podcasts, the longer versions that came from this last weekend's program. We will have another full week of programs next week, although I will not be on the long podcast. I'll be on Talking Real Money Quick. I am spending some time with family over the weekend. So Tom will be taking on those duties along with some special guests on the show next week. So we always have something interesting for you to listen to here on Talking Real Money Quick. We are never going to be popular with people who sell stocks or sell insurance investments, insurance investments like an oxymoron. We're never going to be popular with people who think you could time or trade the market. And guess what? We don't want to be because what we're telling you is factual, it's tested, it's science. 855-935-TALK is the phone number, 855-935-8255. If you like the podcast, we'd love to have you subscribe to it, tell a friend or two, and it's always nice if you leave a review at uh, whatever service you happen to be using because it does help people find the podcast.
even bad reviews, I guess, too. So take care. I'm Don McDonald. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately, consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?